So if you'll turn in your copy of God's Word today, we're going to dive right in to possibly one of the most pivotal moments, not the most, but one of the most pivotal moments of the Old Testament, certainly one of the most acknowledged moments and uh, recognizable moments in the Bible itself across many, many parts of the world and especially in the United States. We are getting to a turning point. Even as we saw in the video earlier, it stopped right there. And we're going to continue learning next week. We're going to spend some time at this moment where the people of Israel, the redeemed by the Redeemer, are going to encounter a personal, powerful moment of instruction from God. That, that God's going to give His Word, and it's going to be a revealing His presence, but it's also going to be revealing the priorities that He has for His people. It's going to be teaching them. And I want to invite you to turn there if you haven't already. It's going to be on the screen behind us. If you're using one of our Pew Bibles, as we always welcome people to do, to use them and take them if you need them, um, it's going to be on pages 63 and 64. I want to give you the introduction to when the people arrive at Mount Sinai to encounter the living God in a new and dynamic way. So, stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word. I'm just going to read a small portion today. We're going to be reading chapter 19, looking at verse 16 and through verse 20. And this is what it said. On the third day, when morning come came, there was thunder and lightning a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain. Then the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and he went up. Let's pray. Lord God, today, set our hearts attuned to you, that just as we teach our children to have focused eyes and tuned in ears, and respectful hearts, that is not just a little message for children. That is for all of us as we need instruction from you. May we be respectful of this time, but also may we see how you have regarded us as, as, as people that you love, as people gifted with your grace to be hear what you have been saying to not only people long ago, but even us today. Remind us that you are the living God, a holy, mighty God. And though at hearing from your voice, it means the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So our goal, once again, is let's look at the Bible and see what it says, to see what it means, to see how it applies, and, and what we're going to do about it. We want to do this so that we can have some for, sort of reflection and life change from it. And here, once again, we're in the, this book of Exodus, the second of the first five books of the Bible that have been authored by or penned by Moses. It's been... Uh, the author of all the Bible and inspiration from all the Bible and why it's so perfect and infallible and inerrant in all of its detail is God who breathed it out. 
But he provided these books to the people of Israel so that they may understand who their God is, what he has said, what he has done to rescue them, and what it means to be his redeemed people. How they might live in obedience, acknowledging what they have seen and heard, and this special covenant relationship they have between them and the Lord. And this would be preserved for them. It would obviously be added a part to the whole canon of Scripture. That's what we call the 66 books of the Bible, the, the canonical uh, part of the Bible. That's, that's there. Um, and uh, as we get to this point today, we've, we've been looking at how God has redeemed and rescued His people and what He has brought them through up until this point. That's why we had that little synopsis video to keep it quick, because if I were to take that, that five minutes, it would actually turn into probably 55 minutes. And, and I know no one wants that. But uh, here we are, we're getting to this moment. And the people have finally made it back to Mount Sinai. Now that's a very important point of where they're at. Because when God visited Moses in chapter 3, that's how many 3 is, not that, 3, um, when he got to chapter 3, whenever we see this encounter, God tells Moses that this is how you know that I am with you. When all of this is taking place, you're going to come back here with the people, the multitudes of them, the, the millions of them, and you're going to worship me at this mountain. And here they have arrived. How long has it taken them? The Bible says it's taken them three months since the Passover. Three months since the Passover. In three months, they've seen the waters parted. They've seen bread from heaven. They've seen quail being dropped in their laps uh, by the wind. They've seen water come from a rock. They've seen the defeat of Amalekites. Uh, they have seen God answer their prayers. They have seen the, the whole way that they have been organized changed and shifted. And now here they are. And they're having an encounter with God that shows His instruction to them. His words of direction to them. And so our goal today is to hear what they have heard and to understand that the Redeemer's instruction is about holiness and wholeness. We need, we need to understand that this whole moment is not leading the people so that they can learn the good book and so that they were once bad and now they're good or they were once okay, now they're a little bit better. It is not so that they can be um, somewhat religious and now be a little more holy or righteous. That's, that's not the purpose. It's so that they can see what it looks like to be redeemed by the Holy One. To be forever changed by who He is and that this holiness that God has provided for them out of His relationship with them is meant to be reflected in their life not in small things and not in just big things, but in all things. That is holiness and it's wholeness. And so, what we want to understand about that, once again, just in case you're clear, some people think whenever you come to the church and you start talking about the Bible and you start talking about the law and what it says to us, it's just about trying to make bad people good and okay people better. No, that it's not about just passing on information. It's not about behavior modification. It's about God's revelation birthing gospel transformation. So what insight do we gain from this time, this instruction, this redemption? Well, the first thing that we gain is God speaking. Now, God had spoken before. God had spoken before we were ever around. When God said, let there be light, and there was light, there was God speaking. So that's a pretty big deal. Anytime you see God speak, that is a very potent, powerful moment that we should not miss, that we should never take lightly. 
God speaking. And in chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, we see God speaking before He ever had this holy, mighty moment on the mountain. It says, In the third month, from the very day the Israelites left the camp of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim and came to the Sinai wilderness and camped there in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to the mountain of God, and the Lord called him. The Lord spoke to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob. So God is speaking to, to Moses, and he's telling them this is to Moses for Moses to tell to the people. And explain to the Israelites, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. That's a pretty big deal. And we saw the, the clip, and, and you know, you notice that a lot of things had happened to the Egyptians. And brought you to myself. God had provided for them afterward. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests, and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. So the first thing that you see is God speaking and understand that He has been the deliverer. And it's to no one else. It's to no one else that should receive the glory. But God is speaking. And the fact that God would even choose to acknowledge us is a huge deal. You ever had that moment where you're just grateful someone acknowledged you? And, and here's how you know. And guys know this for, for sure. Ladies, you probably know this as well. If you walk into a place, and maybe you don't exchange words, but someone gives you the downward nod, what does that mean? Hi. Yeah. Now, what does it mean if they give you the up nod? Hey, buddy. How you doing? There's a difference. Down nod is like, I recognize you're a human being in my world. Hello. Peace. But to give you the up nod is like, hey, we know each other. We're there. It's, it's a difference. And if you got, if you came to someone that you knew that you were really close with and they gave you the downward nod, how would you feel? Oh, that would be like, what? Did I do something wrong? And, but if you got someone that did the up nod, you're like, and you didn't know them, you're like, who's that guy? Who is that? Here is God not only giving the up nod. Here's God speaking. He's not only acknowledging that these people exist, that He's created and He's redeemed. He is speaking to them. The Holy One speaking to the ones that are not holy. And yet His whole plan for them is to see what He has done, that He has carried them in a very specific way on eagle's wings. I carried you on eagle's wings. And I think that's a really cool thing. I mean, I'm into the whole, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit stuff. So eagles are really cool when, when you think about those mythical worlds. And then we like eagles here. You know, it's like America, eagles, you know, that kind of thing. Unless they're from Philadelphia, we don't talk about them. But the thing about God saying, I'm carrying you on eagle's wings, sometimes we think, oh, that's such a beautiful, lovely thought. This is God carrying you on a very ferocious, serious bird of prey whose hands and talons can wrap around my fist. They're huge. And God says, I have carried you with fierceness. I've carried you with might. 
And I have been a bird of prey to anyone that would prey upon you. This is, this, is a, this is a beautiful imagery here of God speaking. But he's saying, I didn't do it just because ah, I just kind of felt like the day to do that. I just thought I'd be nice today. I hope they don't get, make something big of this. No, he's wanting them to make something big of this. That when he speaks, he has a point. And he says, this is my point. I have brought you here to be my own possession I had done it, and I did it before you even knew the covenant and what the big expectation would be. But I did that for you so that out of all the peoples of the earth, even though the whole earth is mine, even though it all belongs to me, you, you, my redeemed people, will be a kingdom of priests. In other words, you're going to be those mediators, a full kingdom of priests to be the mediators between God and man. And you're going to be a holy nation distinct from the world, the world, so they may know that there is a God. See, when God speaks, it always has a point. So when we open God's word, and it is God's word, it is Him speaking to us, this is never something to be taken lightly. When we talk about having a Bible study where the only thing is the Bible to study, that shouldn't be something like, really? That should be like, whoa. God gave me the heads up and He acknowledged me. And not only He acknowledged me, He invited me. And He said He has a purpose for me as His redeemed person. How loved we are, how amazing it is that the God who says, I will carry you on like eagle's wings and redeem you, would choose to speak to you and say, I have a purpose far beyond you. These were slaves, these were brickmakers. And God says, I'm going to make you my holy nation. These were people that were considered discounted and, and available to be discontinued from the world by Egypt standards. But God says, you're going to be my kingdom of priests. When God speaks, it means something. The question is, will his redeemed people listen? Will they hear? That's a question for Israel that we're going to see. But it's also a question for us today. Secondly, what do we understand about this instruction? What are we to gain an, an understanding from this to see that God's instruction is about holiness and wholeness to His redeemed people? We're going to see a glorious spectacle. We talked a little bit about it. But this is what he told Moses as he, he was preparing to come back and what was about to take place. He says, he summoned the elders of the people. Once again, we talked about how that new structure of administration was taking place. And he set them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. They want to hear you, God. They said that that's what they want to do. We're ready. We, we're, we're prepared. So the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and always believe you. So I'm going to speak with you, Moses, from this cloud, but all the people are going to hear my voice this time. It's not just you. And the Lord told Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. This is serious. No hand may touch him. 
No, but may touch him. Instead, he will be stoned or shot. So even if you touch the mountain, no one else is supposed to touch you. They're supposed to just pelt you with rocks until you die or shot with arrows, not live. Whether it be an animal or a human. And when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up to the mountain. Not touch it, but up to the boundary. Then Moses came down from the mountain and to the people and, and consecrated them and they washed their clothes and he said to the people, be prepared by the third day and do not have sexual relations with women. Then we see this encounter that I shared with you earlier. This moment of the ram's horn blowing. By the way, that in Hebrew that is called a shofar. So when you see the word trumpet there, do not think of a brass instrument that Louis Armstrong played in jazz. Um, going, you're thinking of a ram's horn sounding a long blast. Okay. So in this moment, after this happens, the Lord directed Moses, this is verse 21 of chapter 19, go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord, otherwise many will die. Even the priests who come near to the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out in anger against them. And Moses responded to the Lord, the people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai since you warned us, put a boundary around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord replied to him, go down and come back with Aaron. But the priests and the people must not break through to come up to the Lord or he will break out in anger against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So this is a, a, a moment that is so incredible that not only do you have God speaking, but you have this glorious spectacle. And, and, I, and I call it glorious because it's got such a heavy weight to it. That, that This was not something to be taken lightly. This was not lounging around listening to God. This was focused intent, three days of preparation for this holy encounter moment. And when it came... It was unlike anything the people had ever seen or experienced before. And, and I love this because this was not a requirement for God to save them. They didn't have to spend three days and clean themselves up for God to save them. They didn't have to get a, a, a holy, pious stature for God to save them. But when it came to being redeemed, already being rescued, already being provided for, already being led, at this moment when God says, now I'm going to speak to you as my holy, redeemed, already rescued, def definitely loved people, do not take this lightly. There is a part of you that must be in reverence for this. So that you do not see this as just some, well, I'm just trying to learn by osmosis. Maybe if I lay my head on the Bible, I'll learn something. Um, by the way, I took some courses in college, and sometimes that happened. And believe it or not, sometimes those worked in those courses. But it has never happened to me when it came to God's Word. It would take actual focused time. And, and Melinda is like, yeah, that did happen. And I wrote on him with a pen during class. Um, so that also actually happened. Um, but... There's a difference in not taking that serious and then taking this serious. This is, this is a point. The guy says, listen to who I speak. Don't, don't discount that or take it for granted. And secondly, in this moment, God shows how holy He is. He tells the people to come to this moment as now what the expectation is after being rescued, after being demonstrated with such testimony after testimony and testimony of His love. There was nothing they could say, well, why does God want me to do He hasn't done nothing for me. Lately, it's been three months and you've been seeing all this for the past year. God has done a lot for you lately. 
But also, what's so incredible about this moment, once again, from the moment that the people left out of Egypt in the Exodus, God had experienced and showed them His presence in, in the way of the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He had shown His, his testimony of His presence by sending the wind to divide the seas. He, they had seen His activity and His presence through the different manifestations of the plagues. So what's incredible here is God is not afraid to invite them into a new level of seeing Him in His glory. Now they can't go up on the mountain if they're not priests. There's still that division that, that God still has yet to redeem and make, make available through Christ to where we are today. But in this moment, God says, I am showing you yet another level of me that's consistent with who I have always been and who I will always be, but I'm inviting you to experience me in that new way. And and I want to be careful there because I want you to know that God still invites us to experience Him in a new way that we have not yet seen Him, but once again, it will always be consistent to who He has always been and who He will always be. That if you find something that says, this is of God that is not consistent with who God has always been, it is not of God. Be careful there. But still yet, God invites us to see Him in a new way. The disciples also had this, this, this moment with Jesus. Whenever they would see Him, they, they knew Him as the miracle worker at times. They, would, they knew Him as the storm stopper. They knew Him as, the, as the, the incredible teacher. They knew Him as this radical reformer. They saw all these things. And yet, on the Mount of Transfiguration, that moment, they see Him become, His clothes become wider than any launderer. He becomes enveloped on this mountaintop with God. And here's the voice of the Lord. And they're, they're stupefied by it. And yet, God is not hindered by revealing and bringing us to a new place with him and it's consistent with who he's always been but yet we just have not yet experienced it in this moment there's this glorious spectacle pointing back to the very holiness and seriousness of god just in case they didn't get it with the commands that came from moses hey um god's going to come down in three days we're going to put these huge boundaries out here that you know you will be clearly seen Uh, Don't let your livestock go past that, and don't you go past that. Why don't I listen to your rules, Moses? You just brought me out of the desert. I don't don't listen to you. I ain't going to listen to nobody. Me and God, we like this. I don't need anybody to help me. Okay. And then all of a sudden the day arrives. There's thunder and lightning. The, vi- the very ground is shaking. Your, your footing is not solid. You're having to catch yourself. You're hearing a ram's horn blow from the mountains and from the heavens that is unlike anything you've ever heard. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's serious. Okay, I get it. And this is why it's good to get in God's Word. Because we may hear people say things and they're like, oh, why don't I got to listen to that? Why do I got to do that? I don't, I don't understand it. Why do I gotta... But all of a sudden we get an encounter with God and we're like, oh, I get it. His glory leaves a weighted impression on us. And it's not a spectacle to be like, oh, that was cool. We'll see you later. No, it's like, wow, thank you for letting me see that. I'm forever changed. But in this moment, you see something else that happens. You see the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, is the giving of the Ten Commandments pretty big deal? I, I think so. In fact, most of us... In American Christian culture, especially in evangelical culture, we, we, we hold the Ten Commandments pretty heavy. 
In fact, in American culture, we, we're willing to go and fight and, and protest if someone wants to take them down or if someone wants to put them up and they're being prevented. We love that. We want to do that. And, and I understand having God's Word etched in stone and, and, and on display, it needs to be made available to everyone. But here's the thing that always kind of seems stupefying to me whenever I ask this question. Is how important are the Ten Commandments? Oh, very important. Do you need to know them? Yes. What are they? Can you recite ten things in order right now? How important are they? Can you do it? You may say, well, you went to seminary, preacher. Of course you know that. We hang it on our walls. Sometimes some of you got it in your kitchen right now. But do you know it? God starts off giving His law. And, and I want to let you know, the Ten Commandments is just the smaller, edited, summarized version. He spends the next four or five chapters actually laying out the covenant that is going to be necessary for keeping those ten laws. So it's not just those, but those are the ten words, the ten statements that pound it in of what it means to follow Him. But here's the thing that many of us have missed. Because some of us think, what's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Usually we can get that one pretty easy. But that's not the first statement. It is the first command. It's not the first statement. The first statement has the gospel all over it. And when we read it in the American version, we like to start with verse 3 of chapter 20. But the, the, the way it's read in the, in the Jewish tradition and in the Eastern tradition is this way. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Before any command is stated, this is what God says. It's the gospel structure labeled at the very top. What did they deserve to have Yahweh God Almighty called them His. For them to be able to call Him theirs. What did they do to deserve that? Nothing. They had done nothing worthy of receiving that. Aside from having an ancestor that God had made a promise, the people themselves, who were 400 years later, had done nothing of deserving of such a place. But God had made a promise. That he was going to do it. But it wasn't up to the people. It was up to God. So when God makes a promise, he doesn't take it lightly. And he says, I will be, I am. Not I will be, I am. The Lord your God. I am the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. You see, we need to recognize this before we ever go to this. Because sometimes we'll look at these laws and be like, oh man, this is tough. Why, why do I need to know this? It's because God in all of His grace and the good news of the Gospel that made a way in this pushing towards the cross of the Old Testament, but it's certainly us that look back on the cross. God made a way that we didn't deserve to be the deliverer of us, to bring us as New Testament Christians out of the kingdoms of darkness into His marvelous 
into the kingdom of the Son He loves. That while we were once sinners, Christ demonstrates His love for us. See, we didn't do anything that deserves it. And yet God, out of His grace, puts the Gospel there. And that hinge point makes all the difference. If God had done nothing for the people of Israel, and if all of a sudden there were people out in the wilderness who had never seen any activity, and all of a sudden there was flashes from light uh, from heaven that of uh, someone they've never heard, no one ever they've ever followed, no one's ever provided for them, no one's ever redeemed them, no one that's ever rescued them, and says, "Here are ten laws," they'd be like, "Okay, it's a voice from heaven telling us how to live, but why?" But you point back to the redeemer. And that why is huge. It's because He is the Lord, your God, who delivered you out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. And we today, looking back on the cross, that's the hinge point of why we do anything. That's the hinge point that makes prayer come alive. It's the hinge point that makes evangelism so readily available. It's the hinge point because we knew the cross was not the final word and that it is the final word, but it's not. It's, it's the final word of saying it's finished, but the, the, the empty grave is that final exclamation point on that final word. And it changes everything. We see the markings of the gospel structure here in verses 1 and 2. But we also see the gospel structure in its mandates. You see, we have to look at the markings, but we also have to understand that God doesn't say, I save you and then kerplop, I drop you and leave you alone, lost and forsaken. No, He leads us. We've been talking about this, that God did not lead them purposeless. He walked with them. And so here we see these mandates. We're going to be looking at them more intently uh, next week. But we see, first of all, these vertical commands, these vertical mandates that are about the covenant relationship of our love to God. That's what they're about, these these vertical commands. They, They directly deal with who the people are before God that they understand a little bit more about who He is and that He is alone and, and that what it means to worship Him and, and what it means to, to not misuse the caring of His name and, and what it means to, to keep the Sabbath holy. These are those first four commands. And then the second are these six horizontal commands. What does it mean if this is right that it's lived right here? That when this is good, this is important, but this when this is good, it makes effect here. These horizontal commands. How... My covenantal love for God commands me also to love the neighbor who is also created in God's image. That it's going to make a dynamic difference. And here's where we, once again, go back to that gospel structure. The gospel points us ever back to the cross and the resurrection, but we see the, the build-up on it. That's why you have the gospels that begin the New Testament. Then you have these letters You have the history of the church and then you have these letters and then you have this final testament about what's yet to come. It's saying the Gospels didn't end. They didn't say, well, he's alive. Figure it out. It says here's these words, these instructions, so you see what it means now to live in light of the mark of the Gospel. This is the mandate. This is the message that you're to carry. And lastly, we see some glorious statements when it comes to these instructions. 
I know in your notes it says that this is also verses 3 through 17, which is the Ten Commandments. And as we look at them next week, we're going to see that these statements are not just said loosely. That they have two things that we need to ask about every single one of them. Aside from memorizing them, we need to understand their meaning. What do these commandments mean? And some of them are going to spell it out correctly. Do not do this. Period. Pretty easy to figure that out. But some of them, they have a lot more significance beyond just the statement. What does it mean not to take the name of the Lord in vain? It doesn't mean don't cuss. It does mean that, but it means much more than that. We're going to ask what it means. And we must look at them. When we look at God's Word, we say, okay, what does this mean? Spell it out for me. Help me live it. But secondly, what is its message? What is the intent teaching us about God? Why are these glorious statements? Well, one, it it helps to change our life, but also it tells us a little bit more about God. That God doesn't give us His Word and purposes. It's pointing us back to Him. I mean, obviously the first four are about our relationship with Him. But when you think about it, what is... What does the whole committed adultery thing mean about us and God? What does the whole stealing thing mean about us and God? What does the whole coveting thing mean between us and God? It's going to teach us something about a message about who He is. That this Redeemer who redeemed His people, one, He was the Creator. He had begun it all, and it's going to point Him back to this as, as the first five books tell us. That he, this Redeemer, He is Lord. He is the one that has the authoritative Word. This Redeemer, He's the Savior, the one that rescued you, and that's why you live for Him. He didn't say, live for him, then he'll rescue you. He says, I got it the other way around. All of the other religions of the world do this. Do all this thing, and then I might rescue. The gospel turns that topsy-turvy. He says, I'm going to rescue you. Now live for me. It's going to show God is Savior. But it's also going to show how God is holy. The Holy One. There is no one like Him. There is no one but Him. And when it comes to this encounter, and then God speaking, and the glorious spectacle that's there, and these, this gospel structure, and these gracious statements, we're seeing that God is holy. Next week we'll continue this looking at this pivotal moment that is the hinge point for the people of Israel leaving Egypt and, and moving forward. They're going to spend a long time at Mount Sinai. And we're going to see why that is. Because God has a word to speak to them, to show them who He is, what He has said, what He has done, and what it means to change their lives. Today, we stand on the other side of the cross. As we talk about it, we look and say, the same God that was back then is the same God we talk about today. He's still the Holy One that when He comes into the place, we're never left the same. When we come to that encounter, Some people take this God too lightly, but He is never to be taken for granted. And then when we see the holiness of God, we see His direction and see what He says about sin. We see how broken we are. That we have not been able to maintain that covenant. No one ever could. And yet God, in His perfection, still provides a way. He's going to provide a way for Israel. He provided a way for us. This is the God that we talk about. Today I want to ask, do you know Him? Do you listen to Him? Do you take serious your time with Him? And does that acknowledgement of His grace and the gospel 
Is it what shapes everything else about your life? Or is it something else? Because if not, I want to invite you to come back to that. See Him in light of what He has done to be your rescuer. And then begin thinking about what you're going to do from based off that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today as we come to this ending point of uh, today's worship gathering, I pray that you would help us to end well. I mean, our worship doesn't stop here. We're going to be sent out to the world to be your missionaries, your witnesses. But in this moment where we have a chance to pause, reflect, and respond on your word, your instruction, and we've heard about how serious that is, help us to do that. Help us to end this moment well. For some in this room that need peace with you, help them to find that. To see your glorious, gracious invitation. That though you are holy and, 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 and so distinctively different from us, you invite us to come near. In fact, you've made the way and stepped forward so that we could come near. Remind us, Lord, for those in this room that need to respond well, to end well here in this moment. That there's a next step of obedience and that instruction that comes from you is not something to be taken lightly. But if you said go, we better be about moving. If you said speak, our lips better be open. If you've said love, and you've said love so much, our hearts better be exposed. If you've said look, Help us see. If you've said listen, help us hear. Whatever it is you've told us, help us to understand that instruction did not come lightly. And it comes back to telling us about your holiness and the wholeness you expect from us in light of that. Jesus, have your way in this moment. And let us follow. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. In this moment, once again, you have the ability to respond. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what God may be leading you to specifically do. But I do know if God has spoken an instruction to you, the best thing to do is listen, to trust, and obey. Now, if you have questions, or you need someone to talk to about that next step with the Lord, I'm going to make myself available down here at the front. I'm, not, I'm certain not the only person you could talk to. You could talk to a family member, a leader, a teacher. But if you need someone in that next step, based on God's instruction to you, I'm here. But the most important thing you do is to follow what He is telling you to do in this moment.